0: all right ready ready three two one hey everybody mike here with bonnie and tim we are the vox podcast we are delighted that you would tune in and we are delighted that um, uh, we get to play a part, small part in your life We are um, in three different parts of the country, and so I always feel like I need to give a clothing update uh, for everybody. Uh, Today, Tim Stafford is in Auburn, California. It's been 140 freaking degrees there. Not literally, but it feels that way. And today, he is in a knit beanie. And um, with a full beard. And so my first question for you, Tim, is why the why the beanie today, my friend? It's hot. It is August. It's so summer, it's Bonnie. Actually, thank you. It was a
1: little you. cool, and it was cool last night. And then I, in anticipation of this recording this morning, I opened all of my windows, and it was a little chilly in here.
0: Well, and ladies and gentlemen, there you have it, straight from Northern California, Tim Stafford. Now, Bonnie, <laughs> Bonnie, uh, who was very... Daintily clearing her throat just a second ago, um, or daintily, I should say, is sporting a t shirt that says, big hair, big heart.
2: That's right.
0: And if the inverse is true of that statement, then I am in trouble. You're so serious. So <laughs> All right. So, Bonnie, Bonnie, you've been in California. And yeah, uh that's been good. A little vacay. And um so anyway, it's good to it's good to see you both. Um we've had uh, a great week. We got we certainly got some feedback on um last week's episode or last episode, uh on our on our um our third attempt at trying to convey some information. Uh Bonnie, what do you got for us? We just got a couple pieces of feedback here we want to highlight.
2: Okay, here we go. Dear brother Mike. Whoa. So anything in this that is holding someone accountable, it's to you.
0: <laughs> and anything praiseworthy and anything praiseworthy is reflective of <laughs> it's, the it's whole the thing. Whole group. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Perfect.
2: Uh, dear brother Mike, I wanna thank you from the bottom of my heart for putting out the latest podcast on the shootings. Oh, I wanna you're thank welcome. you for your vulnerability and authenticity and compassion and understanding of the gospel. Wow. Without going into too much detail, I want you to know that I'm having all the emotions and self-talk in my head that I'm sure you had during your rant that wasn't published. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> and people are interested in that unpublished rant. That's <laughs> true. It's oh, good lord! It should be like a Patreon like special. Oh, good Ooh, lord! That's a good idea.
0: Oh, that um, is awful. <clears throat>
2: okay she goes on (laughs) but what you gave to your listeners on the podcast that you shared was a blessing i have the great gift and fortune to work in the prisons this past sunday after i led worship at the church i pastor i went into a worship service in a prison and because of the safety i felt there because of their deep and abiding faith in god because of my ability to be vulnerable i was able to openly grieve this this horrific event Wow. but let us not forget that I openly grieved in the presence of those who have also murdered people. Wow I felt the deepest sense of love, compassion and forgiveness in that group hmm. It is hmm. only when you truly put yourself in a place where you're forced to be with those that you would otherwise never be with or never understand do you start preach. to understand what it means to love your enemy
0: Come on preach Wow I know so so you're you're lamenting the shootings and the presence of people who may have committed similar deeds yeah that's amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: okay well thank you and that's great so, that's a great I email mean,
2: it, like you know. it was a corporate lament yeah Do you know
0: yeah,
2: what I mean yeah. oh <clears throat> that sounds, she just she, and then she ends it she says I'm grateful for your podcast I wish you good luck I wish you protection because I know there are some that won't like what you're saying God bless you Mike Tim and Bonnie.
0: Oh so there's Tim and Bonnie we so they the, get the Tim. blessing we got
2: the protection. You got Whoa, the blessing and protection.
0: It. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely, definitely. Well, that's awesome. Thank you. And I know there's I one that wasn't quite as as um, positive.
2: Yep. Here's another one. Okay. Um, as your neighbor to the north, she's from the subject is a concerned Canadian. Mm. So, as your neighbor to the north, I don't understand what is happening in your country. <laughs> Thank you. For... Neither do we. <laughs> we don't either. Thank you for your podcast. Thank you for your passion and outrage over all the murdered lives this past weekend. As your neighbor, I want to ask, where is your outrage the rest of the year? Chicago, oh. with a 2.7 million population, lost 530 people last year. My city in Canada, with a population of 1.5 million, only lost 17 people that year. hmm we should all lament together over the image bears destroyed by hate and violence. I can't help but wonder if those laments fall a tad insincere when they only come with breaking news.
0: Oh snap. Well that one's definitely addressed to Tim and Bonnie. I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like that one is just Tim and Bonnie. Well, that's a that's a great first of all, I get that. And it certainly seems And times of tragedy that everyone gets on their soapboxes to make whatever point they want to use. And so I never, I would never want us to be opportunistic that way. For sure. And that's part of the reason why we deleted the previous two takes, um, is that they were too hot takey and they weren't like constructive enough. So I hear you. Secondly, I I think I am, I operate at a mild, uh, well, not a mild, a very low boiling discontent with everything. So so that doesn't mean we cover everything in the podcast and just if we hit a topic because there's a, there's a national conversation happening doesn't mean we're not outraged other times right mm-hmm. I live in kind of a low grade grade outrage <laughs> at many things but for my own sanity and my walk with Christ I've got to I've got to set those things aside at times so I don't know that um, I don't know that focusing on a uh, national conversation or trying to enter in in a national conversation uh, is insincere. Um, I would just say, if you judge us only on the hour of conversation we have about something, that's that's probably too narrow a too narrow a sample. You know what I'm saying? I think yeah. I think there's there's a lot of uh, discontent out there about a lot of things. But like anything, I cannot live in a state of constant outrage. That is not how Jesus invites us to live. That does not, pr- pr- that does not produce the best me, that does not produce the best family, that t- does not produce the best disciple. So, I don't know, that's good. I mean, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Do you have thoughts?
2: Um, well, you know who, well, this is a good segue. So, Tim Gombas got me onto the Enneagram. Have oh, you guys taken the Enneagram? Oh nope. yes. Oh, you, have, <laughs> Mike. What? <laughs> Tim has it. Mike, what number are you?
0: What would you guess, Bonnie?
2: Uh, I don't know enough. Unfortunately, oh, okay. I only okay. know about my number.
0: Well, what's your number? I'm a four. And, Which, and... by
2: the way, so is Tim.
0: Is that why you guys are best buds now?
2: That's why we're best friends because we're both fours.
0: Nice. What's a four?
2: Was, <laughs> uh, it's the individualist. Okay. They, um, but one of the things about fours, this is what I was going to say, and Tim and I actually just talked about this, is that
1: oh boy, there let's we go. There, clarify that there this. There we is go. Tim number two.
2: <laughs> if there is pain and suffering, some personality types, not just fours, can like take it on and internalize it, and it's that actually is one thing that causes will fuel uh, my depression and anxiety. So, mm. if I live in a constant state of lament or grieving or even outrage, I can't actually even function well like for, and show up for myself or my kids or my – do you know what I mean?
0: Oh, that's so yes. good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Tim, you're a 4-2 just by <laughs> Just by, by that fiat. description right there. <laughs> yeah, seriously.
2: Wait. I want it, Mike. I want to know what number you are. Well, the one,
0: the one um, book that I read on it, I was going through with our Vox team. And we read just the descriptors for number eight. And they all so said, that's you.
2: Did you take the test? No. So you're a self-diagnosed eight. Bonnie, which is, an eight, which is an eight thing. Which is an
0: eight thing to do, right?
2: <laughs> it totally is. So
0: an eight, at least in this book, was called a challenger. And so yeah. I feel like, I feel like uh, there's some of that in there. Yeah, but I, and wings. I got wings for everything. I got wings for children. I got wings, wings. for days. I got wings for days, <laughs> and and so does this restaurant in Ohio called Roosters. Man, they have good wings. But different different topic. So Bonnie, I'm glad that's a great and that that's actually a great response to that. Is that yeah? You for for some personality types, you just not like it's physically you cannot live like that. Absolutely, I can't. that's I so can't. good. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned Gombas and your great friendship with him. Um, So I I know, seriously. (sighs) (laughs) It just hurts my heart. But I just had a conversation with Gombas too. Now, for those of you relatively new to the podcast, um, there are some voices that we have on very regularly. Bonnie was one of those until, until we just said she's, she's too awesome to not have every time. Um, but Tim is a guy whose work I've admired many, many years. Um, and, and we've since connected. And he's, he will, he's willing to come on the podcast, I don't know, every uh, five or six weeks or so and talk about Paul. He's a, he's a Pauline scholar. And my goodness today guys we hit Paul in politics and oh it's so good it's so challenging and so good and I don't know what it means and I don't know what to do with it but it's so see am I the the great horrible part of me what in the world Bonnie what is happening is that is that a sliding glass door good lord i'm
2: so sorry
0: no one no one will ever accuse us
1: i thought it was a flushing toilet i thought
2: too professional i thought it was a
0: slide, like a sliding door that was going that was opening and closing several times i'm like chip chip (laughs) get out of there chip we're recording Good in the word. And Tim's got his two little ones, Elliot and Mazzy, locked out of his little studio. And Mazzy climbed up on a chair and was peeking in. And <laughs> Very so, true. true stories. I mean, it's, man, children. We're under siege. We really are. We really are. All right. <laughs> back to Gombas. This was so good and so challenging. And I don't know where to go with it. And I had a 1,000 things I wanted to say. but I, But I literally, this was one of those things where it was like with Matt Sorens, you just, you throw out a couple of questions and then boom, you're gone. So, so we're not going to, we're not going to outro Gombus, uh, cause I, I actually just want to sit, I want to listen to it before I even ref- like verbally reflect on it. I just want to sit and listen to it a couple of times. It was that good. Um, so Bonnie, there you go. I'm glad our friendship has paid off.
2: Sweet Gombus.
1: I feel like Sweet maybe Gombus. I should be like there should be a little lament on my You're, part because I'm the only one that has no relationship with him.
0: You are well, you share a name. And yeah. so so Sethy calls you Tim Staff. I don't no, know Seth why. Seth and I have
1: a great relationship. No, he likes you. I don't you. think Gombus can say that.
0: That's very true. Uh, Sethy also likes Bonnie because she has a lot, a lot of hair and i don't know if I'm you know this. Mine. i know seriously man it's curling in the back um it is. well that's my truck um my wife evidently hit my panic button or seth so anyway thank you editing all right so that's all i got you guys have anything <laughs> do we need to remind anybody of anything um we have do you know what we have 400 reviews on itunes i could not believe it Oh, that's
2: so awesome. that's
0: amazing thank you
2: we should we should pick one and send them something,
0: Bonnie. Every idea you have is just more work for you, and so okay. keep them coming. <laughs>
2: okay, I We'll,
0: we'll also do. do I also have. Is. I also. I also have a couple. Well, let's yeah, let's read it on air. Okay, and yeah. and then you know, and read a couple of them, and and then okay. the first one to like respond to us gets a whatever okay. a gift i don't know I'll i don't know if a that's good a good idea for the next one like a okay we also have we're also gonna have a book giveaway again next week because i've got a interview with a guy um david fitch who's, who wrote a book called the church of us versus them so sounds oh, so cool. good i know right so anyway all that is said we have so much coming so thank you for reviewing that's a great idea about the reviews bonnie um, thank you for subscribing. All that stuff like keeps us active in the iTunes algorithm. So it's really, really important. And then we've got uh, several new Patreon supporters. If you go to our P- uh, Patreon page, Patreon is a kind of a crowdfunding uh, mechanism to support artists. And so you can like there are people working on record albums or books or like Bible translations like Kickstarter. Patreon's more for ongoing projects, and uh, and we have um, we have some supporters that support us financially, which is such a big deal to us. I mean, and it is because it does cost uh, money to actually run this thing in terms of equipment and time and tech and storage and all those sorts of things. Um, but if you go to our Patreon page, all of our reward tiers are pearl jam songs, and so if for no other reason just to see cheesily written up, (laughs) loosely tied in Pearl Jam song reflections. I think that's reason enough. So anyway, you're an amazing community. Thank you for um, emailing us and all the feedback. We love it. So friends, enjoy this interview with Mr. Gumbus, and we will talk to you later. Bye. Let's do it. Hey everybody, Mike here with our friend Tim Gombis, PhD from St. Andrews. Yeah. In, uh, in 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 the topic of your dissertation, which I have read, by the way.
1: Wow. Was was on all... you and about three other people.
0: Hey, sometimes a man is desperate for for good reading material, and um, and it was the triumph, it was the triumph motif in Ephesians, correct? Yep. And, um, and I don't know why I brought that up except to say, so Tim, Tim is, has joined us on a couple other podcasts. Those episodes, by the way, those previous Tim episodes are, uh, among our most popular. So I encourage you to check those out. If you're just getting to know, uh, Tim Gombas, um, what's your, what's your blog? Faith Improvised. Uh, Yes. Faith Improvised, which even that title will tell you a whole lot, about how he understands uh, the scriptures and our, our role in working them out today. So, Tim, thank you again for yeah. joining us. It's so cool that you would take time. Where do you, where do you teach? What's the name of the seminary? Grand college? Rapids
1: Theological Seminary. Boom. In Grand Rapids, Michigan.
0: Boom. Well, that's convenient. Um, and, then, and then what are you going to teach this <clears throat> fall? What do you have this fall coming up?
1: This fall, I'm doing uh, a basic hermeneutics class. Uh, that I team teach with my old Testament colleague and, um, I'm teaching a class on Romans and I'm teaching on, um, uh, introduction to exegesis, which is, uh, the first of our three Greek exegesis courses. And that covers Paul's letters. So be deep in Paul's theology and exegesis of Colossians, uh, all this fall, which will be a total blast.
0: What 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 are the textbooks you use for Romans? We just had um Romans Disarmed,
1: the Cat and Walsh. We just had them on our
0: on our have you read it yet?
1: No. Okay. No, I haven't gotten into it. Uh Colossians Remixed was um one of those books that just blew my mind. Yeah. And loved it. Couldn't get enough of it and um I uh, was waiting for the, I knew this, they were coming out with this book for uh, some time and just, it's, it, it took a years. while to get. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm eager to get into it. The problem is my stack of <laughs> books is just overpowering. <laughs> but yeah. I just, use uh, for that, for that class, I use, um, uh, let's see here. Frank Matera's commentary in the Baker series, the, um, The Pidea series which is a really solid textbook kind of a commentary Hmm. Hmm. i I use um i actually have students do a little project on justification using uh tom wright's book justification and reading that along with michael gorman's book uh inhabiting the cruciform god which is is there's to my mind there's no better statement of the of the nature of justification of Paul than that book, but I like to have them read those two together, um, and then Ka- uh, the name Catherine Greeb's book
0: hmm.
1: called um, oh Boy." That's oh, all right if you don't know off the top of your head. It's all right. So the, the subtitle is "The Narrative Defense of God's Righteousness," which is a really solid um, exposition of sort of the uh, apocalyptic take on Romans, but you know, it, her own independent reading. I think it's, a, I think it's a great book.
0: So, um so we had uh Sylvia and Brian on cool. and th- it'll be just as provocative, if not more so than Colossians. Yeah. Remixed that's awesome. Was. It's very much a socioeconomic anti-imperial reading and uh, of Romans. And then McKnight just came out with reading, reading Romans backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I mean, Romans, big, big stuff. And that'll be worth that. You know what? That's a conversation we need to have in the future. Sure. Um, uh, that's really juicy stuff. All right. But I thought today, my friend, we would talk politics. Sure. Uh, we are recording this, um, uh, a week or so after these tragic shootings in, in Dayton and in El Paso and, um, you know, the the political the temperature of the country is pretty hot. Uh, and, and some of the work you've done on your blog was really helpful in in some conversations we've had earlier on the podcast about politics. So I'd love to just I'd love to just tackle sort of Paul and politics a little bit from your perspective and uh, take it any any way you want to go with it. But when we start with politics, um, where where I want to get to, is I, I want to ultimately get to how is it that Paul would it, if he were writing today? And again, we're guessing, but uh, it, but some improvisations are better than others, right? Some guesses are better than others. Um, how would he encourage us to be political? So let's start. Let's start with first of all, what, what how would you define politics and its relationship to faith?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, um, let's see here. Paul's gospel uh, is political, thoroughly and totally, and only. Mm. There's 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 nothing about Paul and uh, his exposition of the gospel that is not political. It's all politics. So we'll we'll um, explore
0: that in a second.
1: Yeah. So I mean, here's how I would unpack that. Um, The statement "Jesus Christ is Lord" is a is only a political statement. Mm. Um, Lordship is, um, is rulership and the, uh, the office and the function of, of a Lord of, of the Jesus's cosmic Lordship is rule. Mm. And, and, um, uh, salvation entails or salvation is being grabbed out of this present evil age and being baptized into the body of Christ. That is the church, which is the body politic of Jesus so to be to be Christian is to be in a social body that is that has an organized way of life under the rulership of the Lord Christ. and that cool. that's a that's a political reality from beginning to end. Hmm. Um, and unfortunately in um, in our contemporary context, I mean we are we are uh, two thousand years almost down the road of <laughs> having a thoroughly internalized faith Hmm. so uh, being christian only has to do with my heart my motives my mind i educate my mind with doctrine i i work on my heart with affections but the faith doesn't have any implications outside of you know the parameters of my body
0: Hmm.
1: Um, and i only go to church to kind of learn about how to uh, educate my mind and affect my affections or or inform my affections or shape them Um, that's a distortion of the new testament faith so, um, faith in Paul is better, in my mind, to my mind, and I I'm not uh, unusual here. Matt Matt Bates has a great new uh, two great books on this yes. about faith as loyalty. Yeah. So, um, faith in Christ or faithfulness to Christ or loyalty to Christ um, has everything to do with allegiance uh, to this body and to its Lord, which is completely political. Hmm. So politics has to do with, you know, organized life under rulership. And um, uh, that's why I say that, you know, Paul's way of thinking is political from beginning to end. Right,
0: because we hear, I'm I'm sorry, let me jump in for a second, because we hear
1: political,
0: and we've been so discipled to hear that a certain way. And I think you're using it a much different way. You're using it just organization under rulership. Yeah. Um, and, and that happens everywhere in homes, homes yeah. are then political entities, right? Churches would be political entities. Yeah. Right. But we hear in yeah, towns hear and states and countries. Yes, 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 yes. And in and, and Ecclesia, right. That was all, that was uh, an original word. Yeah. Uh, or a political word originally. Correct. Sure.
1: Yeah. An assembly of people. And, uh, the church was conceived of as a distinct political entity that was, uh, was sort of separate from, um, I mean, Scripture gives us the word holy, mm-hmm. which we've made into uh, purity or um, sexual purity or sort of behavioral purity. But holiness has to do with distinction from. So we are a holy people, which is, again, going back to Israel scriptures, a, a political reality. Mm-hmm. This is a distinct people that cannot be captured by any other loyalty to some other entity, whether that's um, a nation or a state or a, a local body or whatever, uh, God's holy people are loyal to their only Lord and uh, are obedient to the way of life that he calls them to. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, politics in our culture is, uh, is, our talk about politics is really perverted. So we imagine politics to be um, loyalty to this or that party uh, this or that party that is trying to grab for influence or power or uh, control of the levers of uh, the nation's government um, to determine the course of our nation's history. Um, and, you know, w- we are all the inheritors and victims of ideologies that have been foisted upon us. Especially, I mean, going all the way back to um, uh, John Winthrop in the uh, late 1400s, uh, that things got off course right from the start. But going back to the 70s, I think this is the dominant ideology that we're subject to, and that is um, that to be Christian is to be loyal uh, to this political party and not to that one, mm-hmm. um, and to see that uh, God's uh, uh, God's designs are being carried out by this political party and not by that one. Right. And uh, that seems to me to be such an assumption. Uh, that, that assumption just goes unquestioned. Um, but that's the very structure of idolatry in the Old Testament, mm. that the cause of God can be allied with some earthly cause. And um, the the raft of idolatries that have come in the wake of that is just tragic. So um, the assumption that, or the idolatry of the Supreme Court that we find among conservative uh, Christians Um, the idolatry of, uh, you know, uh, one-issue voting. Um, I mean, all these kinds of corrupted, or even just the idolatry that to be politically involved is to be attentive uh, to uh, the power dynamics far away in Washington, and to be sure that uh, once every two years, and certainly once every four years, I conduct myself, quote-unquote, politically for about 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that's the level of our political involvement. Uh, whereas for paul politics is is a way of life it's it 's being christian it 's my uh, behavior in a political entity called the church it 's my <laughs> um, my behavior as or our behavior as a gathered body within the wider polis or city or uh, community that surrounds our church mm-hmm. um, it 's just that politics for being christian is is so counterintuitive. It's so, um, in fact, I think that almost every American will feel this. Um, it's so backward and so insulting. And it, when you start thinking about Paul's politics, it raises nothing but questions. I mean, it just, it, it throws up in the air everything. Cause here's where it starts. Paul's politics starts with political suicide, hmm. the cross, Mm-hmm. Which was a political tool of uh, repression of uh, you know marginalized people. It was a, a political tool of threat by the empire. I mean, crosses were hung on by highways so that everybody would see a visual presentation of Roman power. Mm-hmm. Like we own you, we dominate you. You have you're you're nobody and you're nothing. We could hang you up on one of these uh, at a, on a whim.
0: Yeah. And yeah. so
1: when Jesus uh, you know, calls disciples to get up on their cross. That is, that's a call to an entirely different sort of political conduct. Mm. In fact, it is so threatening that Peter takes Jesus aside and Mm. says, that's, that's no way to get things done. What are you talking about? I didn't, we didn't sign up for a a movement to go to Jerusalem and uh, just lose we signed up for a thing where we're going to Jerusalem to bring in God's purposes. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, of course, has heard that very same kind of temptation at the beginning of his ministry. <laughs> um, and so the, the temptation, remember, at the beginning of the gospel, Satan does not tempt Jesus to not be the Messiah. He, right. tempts, him, he tempts him to be the Messiah through power. Yeah. And so when Jesus hears Peter uh, question his mission, he calls him Satan. Mm-hmm. And then uh, all four gospels, well, certainly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John's slightly different here, um, but uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke present Jesus as ascending his throne by getting up on the cross. That's mm-hmm. that's the place from which he rules. And Paul, uh, knowing that, that gospel narrative, uh, starts everything with the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, the cross is God's identity. The cross is Jesus's identity. It's the identity of every disciple. And so... Um, We are a political entity claimed by the cross, which means we cannot be, um, allying ourselves with any other entity seeking power. That's, that's the thing that is the greatest threat to us. Mm -hmm. We are, we are about power surrender. We are about privilege, uh, surrender. We are about self giving love and self expenditure. And that's the political, um, that is our politics and that's our political posture. It's our political mode it's the way that we are involved in the wider political entity outside the walls of our, our gathered community, um, which in all of, so you asked me, uh, what would Paul to say to our situation? I think he'd have a lot to say, uh, even regarding our conversation then, uh, before we started recording, hmm. it would sound a lot like first Corinthians, um, the first and second Corinthians, because that's uh, a community that is absorbed in quest for power and prestige. And, and rights assertion that sort of foreshadows American culture. I mean, mm-hmm. I was raised, I think we all were, with this narrative of um, having certain rights. Uh, I am someone significant. I'm a, my vote matters. I have rights, and to to be told. Uh, to gain entrance into this new political entity you have to give up everything you lose everything you renounce everything by starting you know that's mm. the starting point mm-hmm. so that makes being christian and being american a very complicated thing i always thought this was the most natural fit i was taught that you know this is christian yeah. nation and you know this is the most natural fit uh you know christians in china struggle obviously but or in other parts of the world, but we're the ones that sort of have it right. Well, I've found that understanding Paul's theology of the cross and, you know, working through Mark, it just devastated my theology hmm. and my whole, my set of ideologies. Um, I found that being American and being Christian is, is tremendously complicated hmm. um, because we're, we're these are narratives that are moving in different directions. It's not, it's not bad to be American. It's not, I'm not saying anything anti-American. It's just, far more complex that relationship
0: hmm. because we're we're asked for input on the direction
1: of how this sure. thing <sighs> runs
0: right it, it, or, yeah. or do you, or, and or is it that um, that that very same freedom that we sort of boast about uh, uh, is, is tempting uh, to us to abuse in ways that just other cultures aren't tempted with?
1: Yeah, I'm thinking mainly of um, uh, uh, the notions that the, um, our larger political situation fosters in us um, a desire to uh, contest, a de- mm. desire to fight, a, a desire mm. to um, agitate mm. for power. Um, like, I, I'm thinking about messages that we receive. Um, from cable news and there, you know, there are dominant cable news <laughs> channels that are, um, uh, uh that, you know, largely white male Christian people listen to and the void, the constant narrative that is spun by some cable news channels and a lot of other voices is, uh, things are changing and they're trying to take your stuff away. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're coming for your stuff liberals, Democrats, you know, these, these, those people, these people, immigrants are running amok and all this kind of stuff. Um, And so what that does is it forces us into these kind of self-protective defensive postures where I'm guarding my stuff. Uh, I want to keep you away from my stuff. Um, And it it kind of forces us into these closed down sort of postures. Whereas for the, the, uh, and and I'll be insisting on my rights. I have the Mm -hmm. right to my stuff, Mm -hmm. get the government off my back, these kinds of things. Um, and we forget that our fundamental identity is a people that have renounced the rights to our stuff. In fact, we don't even say our, uh, this is the political um, Come on. subversive character of thanksgiving. When uh, all these times in Paul's letters, when he, he talks about giving thanks, that's a politically subversive act where we are naming the stuff that we have as gift from God and not ours. So, so at any point, um, my stuff can be used by uh, the political entity that I belong to, that is the church. Um, if there's someone that needs my stuff, um, I mean, that, that's a radically different political posture, where I'm living with, <laughs> when I'm living with open hands, and I'm actually on the lookout for people who are um, suffering in ways that I'm not suffering. That's a different posture than me insisting on my rights, me looking out, you know, Uh, for people who are threatening to me and pushing them off and pushing them away, Um, you know, thinking about guarding my stuff or, I don't know, even just using weaponry to keep people away that are dangerous. Mm -hmm. If I'm a person that is dead to this world and alive to the next, I simply cannot adopt those kind of postures. That's what I'm saying about like what runs antithetical to how Paul configures things. I'll just give you one other example. In 1 Corinthians 8 to 10, Paul talks about uh, specifically about rights renunciation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's so, not anti-American, but counter to what we're taught. Mm-hmm. He, ha- he could exactly. assert his rights, but that's just not what you do as a Christian. Right. So he's saying to the Corinthians, uh, all this assertion of rights, like I've got the right to do this, that's just not what Christians say, so that's that's fundamentally problematic. Hmm. So, like I said, I know that that raises all kinds of questions. For like, mm-hmm. well, then how do we do this, right? Well, that's I think that we need to be unsettled. <laughs> that's the beginning of faith
0: improvised. That's is it. That, is that no? Absolutely. So, so let's let's push this a little bit. I mean, Tim, this is such great thought provoking stuff, man. Thank you. Um. So let's say I'm somebody who cares passionately about the rights of immigrants, sure, and I'm seeing what's happening on um on our borders and that people aren't being treated treated with dignity all right yeah. so I'm angry, I'm outraged at what's happening in our country yeah how do i how do I channel that in a way that doesn't cause me to stumble um you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm not fighting for my right. Right. I'm fighting for the rights of others. So how, how does that, how does that play out? And then I'm going to, I want to swing around and use the opposite example of abortion. Sure. So if I'm a conservative and I'm thinking this, we're actually murdering babies here. Right. I mean, yeah, it it seem it seems that you're not giving enough permission for us to really go after this stuff. So anyway,
1: yeah. Oh yeah. You See where I'm going. Right. Yeah, totally. So, uh, the first thing I would say is, um, uh yeah we should be far we should be far more the church should be far more politically involved than we are and i think we're we're simply not politically involved many of us
0: okay hold if on, I, hold, on po- hold on yeah go 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 go. okay okay you, political you involvement
1: me. what i mean is um understanding and owning our, our our identity as uh the community claimed by defined by oriented by determined by shaped by the cross and then thinking about um uh, strategizing from there and then taking action oriented by the cross. Hmm. So what that means is, um, uh, so for my community, uh, you know, which is largely privileged, uh, white folks, uh, we have resources, we have materials and we have a voice that means being involved in our local community, uh, to speak to local leaders, to, to agitate on behalf of others. And, and, uh, I call them to a kind of justice that treats others with dignity, with respect, and with care. Um, so say that has, um, uh, yeah, I'm very concerned about immigration. So uh, about immigrants, about mm-hmm. people being treated with dignity and respect. And as, um, as uh, the community claimed by the cross, the community that confesses that the only reality that matters is the lordship of Jesus and the coming kingdom, um, that, um, that confession does, is not anti-American, but it radically marginalizes, it radically relativizes the reality of a fiction that we call America. Hmm. So this place was not always called America. We now call it that. And we have a bunch of rules that we've made up uh, that protect people with stuff. And so um, we, we can be involved to change things in ways that um, uh, people who are uh, vulnerable are treated well. So we can use our voice, we can donate to uh, relief efforts, we can be uh, agitating with our elected representatives and be speaking prophetically to people in power to bring about change, so that um, whether that's immigration reform or whether that's uh, taking in immigrant families. Also, we can be politically involved uh, there's where I live, there are, uh, there's a massive Hispanic uh, population. Uh, we can be involved with uh, church leaders and finding out. I mean, these are communities that are hunkered down and frightened right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we can be involved in providing hospitality, looking out for needs that need to be met. Um, where are people frightened and living in fear and in need? And uh, how can we be involved in service opportunities um, uh, to provide help and to have solidarity with people who are suffering? So, so
0: ahead,
1: political involvement as the church and and um, uh, in, in those very ways, yeah.
0: So if I am a Jesus follower and my Jesus following leads me to believe that we don't do a good enough job taking care of our own people and um, that that our resources are stretched very, very thin and and we should have a much more restrictive immigration policy or a wall or whatever it is, how do you then arbitrate those two, and, and, and they're agitating on behalf of the wall, um, and you're agitating on behalf of, and again, this is a false dichotomy in the sense that if you're a true Jesus follower, you'd still want everything done with dignity and honoring the Imago Dei and every person. But I'm trying to set up a a conflict between two Jesus followers, like we have all over Facebook, and, and then how would how would the community you're describing arbitrate or uh, discuss those differences
1: yeah um let's see I'm not sure how we would discuss those but I mean here's how I think about it um, um as a, as a Jesus follower uh, let's see here I don't know that I can say something like we don't do enough for our people I mean who who are our people no so- I understand.
0: Uh, but I'm just saying there are sincere Jesus followers who are who sure. are who are um, agitating on behalf of whatever tighter immigration laws. They broke the law, then they're quoting Romans yeah. 13, which we'll get to, um, and they're saying, "Hey, we we respect the laws of land." Blah 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 blah. blah. Uh, what seems to happen in these sorts of scenarios is because we've been discipled into this political binary. Um. There isn't. Yeah. There isn't another way. So. So. I guess I'm asking the question: What happens in the 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 community of Jesus when the lordship of Jesus leads people to different political convictions, and then they begin to agitate on behalf of those? Oh man.
1: Well, I don't know that I have any kind of an answer for that, uh, <laughs> other than to say.
0: No, me neither.
1: Other than to say, um, the the ideologies and the. The idolatries of the nation state um, are so strong that they have a stronghold on us that we that we become uh, discipled in these self protective modes where mm-hmm. we want to we want to keep others out and we want to protect our stuff and look after our own mm-hmm. and all I can say is that Christians cannot think that way so when I what I pers- this is where I'm personally at right now. When I run across Christians who are stuck in those modes of thought, I'm just baffled like, or I'm grieved I, um, because this is the result of largely the American church not understanding um, our identity and our destiny. Uh, we are the people who have already renounced our prerogative to protect our stuff, to look after, uh, well, let me get back to that, to look after our own, that is such, that's fundamental. We are the people, we're also the people who are going to inherit the earth in the end. And if Mm -hmm. we agitate, uh, the meek will inherit the earth in the end. That is Mm -hmm. the ones who live with open hands, the ones who um, live with deference and uh, by sharing and by looking out for the poor and the marginalized. And a lot of these folks are that. And so if we live in self-protective modes, we give up any kind of confidence that we will inherit the the earth in the end with Christ. Mm -hmm. those kind of behaviors simply run counter to Christian identity. So I don't know what to do. If people in my church were adopting those modes, I I just, I grieve. I don't know what to do to other than to identify that way of thinking as, um, as, uh, counter to the way of Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, now, uh, I simply cannot say something like, um, looking after our own people, um, if, if that means um, serving the needs of the people in my gathered community uh, of Jesus followers, yeah, that's for sure the case. But also, our gathered community is a people who have already renounced their rights to their stuff and they they serve the needs of the people beyond their borders. And they, um, we are people who are bound by uh, this new political entity and that political entity has... Um, is not bound by the political entity and the fictions that are attendant to it called America. So people in my community, um, like this, you know, this, my white neighbor, I live in a largely white neighborhood. um, I am not bound to a white American any more than I'm bound uh, to um, a Mexican person. I mean, as a Christian, I am on a cross, And my life is given to the Lord Jesus so that I am given along with Christ to my neighbor and to my distant neighbor. So there's Mm -hmm. no distinction. So I can't look at a fellow American and say, well, you are, we have more of a bond than somebody else. Mm -hmm. So I, I understand the impulses of wanting to sort of build and protect, build a wall and protect our stuff um, that, that just runs counter to, to my identity as Christian.
0: But you still have locks on your doors.
1: Oh so yeah, the, sure. So so the yeah, army would go. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That's why I I uh, I'm all in favor of having these discussions of a saner uh, immigration reform. Um, uh, my own, um, I think that what shapes the imagination of the church is is the feeding miracles in uh, in the gospels where. There's just far more here than than uh, than we think we have. Oh, that's we, we have so good. we have far more to share, and we actually become uh, richer people when we give our stuff away. We actually become on. richer people uh, when we welcome. And um, in Matthew is twenty-five, the sheep and the goats. Jesus says that we, as a Christian church, will be judged on the basis of whether or not we have welcomed the foreigner. Uh, that's, um, that's the, it's often ter- uh, translated stranger, but that, that's, that's the term for foreigner. So, hmm. um, I understand our evangelical culture thoroughly. And I saw this study, uh, this recent study that of all demographic groups, in the United States, evangelical Christians are the least likely to be welcoming to immigrants. I just thought that's, that will show up at the day of Christ. Hmm. I mean, that's, if that's the basis on which Jesus will judge, that's, Going to be frightening. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, as far as specific policies, Mike, I mean, I'm just in a fight here. And I'm like, I'm I'm grappling with a lot of like um, friends that are, uh, I've got a good friend in Ohio, oh, yeah, your neighborhood, that um, has been agitating for immigration reform. And I'm just trying to think like Christian political impulses move in a different direction than self protection because mm-hmm. it starts with the cross, which is the ultimate sign of self-surrender.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so let's talk, no, I love, I, dude, this is so good. Talk briefly about how Mark has informed this, your study of Mark. In other words, like we see Paul reflecting a lot on the cross, but in Jesus's, in, in, in the way the gospels portray Jesus, um, it's not a, a clear as maybe a, as connection, as it would be from Paul. So I'd love to hear some of your, what Mark has done to spur this on as well.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, in Mark, uh, let's see here. Um, let's uh, Mark four, one to 20 is just the most interesting uh, set of parables. Hmm. That's the parable of the sower. And Jesus has a lot to say right. there. And um I've always heard sermons on that. I probably have given some uh, where those four soils are uh, exhortative. Like these are the kinds of, this is the kind of person you can be. Don't be this person. Don't be this one or this one, but be this one. Hmm. Uh, And it turns out that uh, Mark 4, 1 to 20 is not, there's no exhortations there, which is really, really interesting. That Mark 4, 1 to 20 is a preview of what we're going to find in the rest of Mark. And in the rest oh, of Mark,
0: nice,
1: um, it's Ooh. the disciples that fulfill the three bad soils, and um, they. Uh, so, so when the word the word goes out uh, from Jesus, Jesus is speaking to his disciples throughout the whole Gospel of Mark, and they oh my uh, they keep missing it, yes. and um, oh, and he, and it's so emphasized in Mark. His oh, frustration yeah. with them. Oh. oh, constantly, and he keeps telling. Yeah, and he keeps telling them, "Shut up! Don't tell anybody about me. Keep this quiet," <laughs> because um, I think this is all Mark's oh, device so whereby he's the, the disciples stand in for the church, and he Mark is having Jesus speak to the church, saying to the church, "Shut up about me, because you don't get me, you don't know oh. who I am, you don't know what I'm about," and um, uh, just a couple of the things that are going on with the soils just has blown my mind. Uh, In one of the soils, uh, it says the word goes out and and the worries of this world and uh, concern for riches, or the deceitfulness of riches, enters in and chokes the word, making it unfruitful. And I had always thought that, that means that I'm kind of going down the road of discipleship to Jesus and I'm tempted to deviate by these other concerns. Yes. That's not the, that's not the language. Hmm. The language is these other concerns enter in and choke the the word, making it unfruitful. And the word, uh, in Mark is, is the cross shaped gospel.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, and so that helped me see that Mark is trying to say that, um, yeah, churches start basically gathered around the cross and then other priorities kind of come in and they no longer are interested in being a cross shaped community. Mm-hmm. And then, um, when Satan snatches away the word, uh, I think that that has everything to do with the preference for, um, a church that's shaped by, by power and prestige rather than being shaped by the cross. And that's, we see that in Peter. Mm. Um, and actually, this is really interesting in Mark's gospel. Um, uh, the crowd functions as a character. Hmm. And every time there's a crowd, uh, Mark makes either an ambivalent statement about it (laughs) or a negative statement about it. So crowds are never uh, a good character in Mark. They always complicate things Hmm. Um, because basically when, when you have a crowd, that's uh, an indication that the gospel has gone out in a way that's not shaped by the cross, um, because oh my
0: lord, Hold, what? Oh.
1: <laughs> basically you have a you have a situation where Satan has snatched away the word because the word is a scandalizing. Where did you get uh, this? Uh, there's got to be some other people that talk like this. Oh my lord! I've
0: never, I have never heard the parable of the soils. Now I've heard it. I, so I, I've heard it and taught it not as an individual, like yeah. here are four kinds of people. Yeah. Um, that's what I did. But, but I've never heard that this is, this is in the way that Luke does in Acts, right? Where he's foreshadowing tons of stuff. Oh Yeah. Um, that Mark's doing that. That's the reason the parable so early there. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. It's very early and everything. And, and then also, and the disciples stand uh, for
0: the three. Oh, yeah. my word.
1: And then the fourth soil is all these characters that pop up that are the, obviously. The centurion just, at the cross. Yes, the, he's, the, he's kind of the, he's yeah, the, the, the apex. Pin- yes. Um, there's, the, there's the woman with the issue of blood. There's uh, the a Star- the Phoenician woman. There's the woman in Mark 14, who anoints Jesus' head, and then the centurion. All these characters that are obvious outsiders, obvious unclean people. And yet they're the ones uh, where the seed
0: bears fruit. Well, and he even says it. He even says, I've not found such great faith in Israel. Yeah. After the centurion's yep. servant is healed. So... Um, oh, my goodness. Okay, that, I'm sorry.
1: Mark 4 just shook me up. I'll just say it that way. Um, and then getting to Peter, um, where Peter... And, 10, and, then, yeah. and then understanding the situation that the disciples want more than anything, the removal of the Romans. So they, so basically Judea, Jerusalem is wrapped up in a culture war and they want to win the cult. They want to get these unclean Romans off their land and they want to accomplish God's purposes. And when Jesus says that these purposes are going to be accomplished by political death, Mm -hmm. that's the objection to that is satanic, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. which just, when you, that, that just is shocking. And um, Jesus says that anybody who stumbles at his words uh, will not be claimed by the Son of Man in the end. I mean, that's oh, serious. This has got to be the thing that defines his people. Yeah. And then all the way up until the end, I never saw this until recently, uh, that uh, Mark uh, 14 and 15, or especially chapter 15, is a coronation.
0: Yes, that it's, it's a yes. subversive
1: yes. coronation where Jesus yeah. is being proclaimed king by the soldiers and being crowned and then beaten. And then when he ascends to the throne, um, that takes the form of the cross. Yeah. So if Jesus' gathered people are ruled uh, by a Lord on a cross and they're called to take up their crosses and follow him on the way to the cross, then the cross thoroughly shapes um, the political dynamic of the kingdom of God, which is overseen by one who rules from a cross. <laughs> oh, so it's, God. I mean, Mark, and I think there's loads of verbal parallels uh, between Philippians and Mark. And um, Paul's oh, theology yeah. is oriented thoroughly by the cross, and so is uh, so is Mark.
0: Oh, yeah that that Mark that that presentation of Jesus is through a triumphal entry. Oh yeah. Through through I mean the whole like it's eight some I was reading some scholar that was like there's there's eight parallels between a Roman coronation oh, yeah. and what Jesus is doing. Yeah or how Absolutely. Jesus is presented in market. Oh Yeah, what
1: a, yeah. What's done to Jesus.
0: Right, yes, 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 yes. So I mean that's
1: another um, big emphasis, uh, dude kind of calling us away from this coercive posture and culture. I mean, Jesus is pushed around. And um, he doesn't retaliate.
0: Right. My goodness. Okay. So many thoughts. I'm. I am so geeking out, my friend. This is so. Well, I'm so glad I asked that question. Just about because
1: Mark. I'm. Uh, I'm thinking about it. I want to talk a, a little bit about on the. F- uh, also about abortion, because mm. you brought that up, mm-hmm. um, and just a couple of things along this line. First. Um. I, I I'm finding I think it's highly problematic um, for American Christians to to uh, assume any kind of labels like liberal or conservative. Um, that that is a uh, liberal and conservative um, are two sort of broad points on a continuum for how Uh, To navigate life in a liberal democracy, so we live in a liberal democracy There are different Mm -hmm. forms of liberal democracy in the West. This basically defines Western governments and there's a variety of kinds where you know uh, liberal uh, We're we're not in a monarchy. We're quote-unquote free and then uh, democracy, you know, each person matters or each each vote matters So it's a liberal democracy and you've got uh, a liberal vision and a a conservative vision Um, for Christians, this is Paul's cosmic gospel. We are snatched out of this present age and baptized into the new creation age in Christ. So we do not live in a liberal democracy. So, um, how we think about being Christian cannot be shaped by these terms liberal and conservative. Mm. And I find it problematic um, when I read scripture and I see Jesus's priorities or I see God's priorities in the Old Testament with Israel uh, being care for the poor. Uh, you know, uh, just scales, just measures, honesty, integrity, service, welcoming the marginalized, et cetera. I find it so problematic when uh, I start to talk about these kinds of things in in an evangelical culture that I'm in, and people will say to me, well, that's liberal. Or what about mm-hmm. conservative issues? Mm-hmm. And I just want to mm-hmm. say, look, this is what is in the Bible. This is not liberal or conservative. <laughs> um, that's another way that the politics of Jesus has been hijacked by a political vision that comes from our world. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. So, but, so anyway, I I don't, I think that uh, liberal and conservative do not have any place in thinking about uh, being Christian or a Christian conception of how we look out on culture. Um, And they're very unhelpful when we talk about liberal Christians or conservative Christians, because I don't even know what that means. It does not make any kind of sense. Christians yeah. in, cannot be conservative because if I am a part of a body of people that God is always transforming by his spirit, I cannot insist on always staying the same. I cannot cons- insist on on wanting to stop change mm-hmm. because I want transformation. And I can't be liberal. That is, I can't demand freedom because I'm a person on a cross. So it's those terms just... I don't know, if we're talking about politics, I just I think those terms have got to go. Not only that, but uh, if I identify myself as conservative or liberal um, rather than just Christian, then if, uh, if a policy position or if a person or a news outlet or anything that's liberal or conservative, if, if, um, uh, I'll end up being defensive of them in some way or other because I want to mm. say, well, no, you don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that will make me not a good listener. I won't be able to receive good conversation with another person effectively if I'm, if I'm in a defensive posture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, as Christians, we have nothing to defend. We've already lost everything and we've been promised everything. So nobody can take anything away from me. I don't have anything. And nobody can give me anything more than I'm going to receive because I'm going to receive everything in the end. Mm-hmm. So that makes us available to being friends of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it does, when it comes to abortion, uh, I do think it's helpful historically to discern that um, political, um, basically, the you know the moral majority back in the early '70s decided uh, to to um, uh, highlight this issue and to blow up this issue to rally uh, conservative white Christians behind the Republican Party and um, uh, to mobilize you know huge voting blocks. Uh, to help Republicans gain power, and um, uh, to insist on uh, a, a kind of a moral vision that they can impose on the rest of the country, mm-hmm. I think it's important to recognize that that's sort of what's happened with that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because I think it's important to see that uh, when Christians default to a, uh, to loyalty to the Republican Party because of their stance on abortion. That is part of a package of uh, uh, ushering in conservative judges into this, into uh, federal courts and uh, conservative judges onto the Supreme Court that has resulted in um, crushing oppression for many communities of color mm. uh, so those very same judges in courts and those very same um, yeah those very same judges in courts are the very same ones um, most resistant to or blocking voting rights uh, for African Americans and um, uh, raising the bar uh, 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 for um, what's required of voting and um, disenfranchising a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So just to recognize that this issue has resulted in the fracturing of uh, white and black historic uh, Christian communities in America. So something's wrong. Hmm. Now, as we um, as we think about being politically involved, uh, uh, and as we envision. Um, political agitation and involvement as as the body of Christ. I think it is essential that we maintain our identity and not ally ourselves uh, with any other earthly entity seeing the salvation or seeing uh, hope and salvation in terms of like the Supreme Court or in terms of government coercive power. And I think that churches uh, would do well to analyze how um, uh, uh, women... Uh, choose abortion because of economic pressures, economic difficulties, and um, put ourselves at the disposal of people considering abortions and offer them all kinds of uh, help and um, mm-hmm. assistance mm-hmm. and aid and putting ourselves out there uh, to adopt children and, um, yeah. and, and welcome them into our homes. Uh, but I think what's unfortunate is that uh, the heat has been turned up so high that, um, In fact, this came up in the last election where um, some candidates were talking about punishing women who have had abortions. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see Jesus encountering broken down and beaten down sinners in the New Testament, I mean, he joins them in brokenness and offers compassion and care. And I think we've got to be careful of our rhetoric that we become um, a political entity that offers rest and hope and hospitality and care and comfort and uh, to grieve with women who have had abortions. Um, and we offer a lot of hope and promise for people who are considering abortions. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, I, when we think about abortion in America, we think typically that the hope and promise um, is offered by laws and by the Supreme Court. Um, no matter what laws are passed, Uh, the number of abortions probably is not going to go down. Um, They may be more dangerous. I'm not saying that uh, I'm I'm envisioning that as a terrible thing, Um, but if we really want to be involved in um, uh, rescuing the unborn and helping mothers who are in desperate situations, I think it's important that we do so from our identity as the church and envisioning creative political activity that offers hope, offers promise, And does so at the cost of ourselves, putting ourselves on the line Hmm. and um, offering those kind of invitations. Oh, yes. And that's not a conservative or liberal thing. That's just being concerned (laughs) to look out for people.
0: Yes, yes. Oh, I hear all the voices. Okay, Tim, I'm going to honor your time. This is so good. So so recommend a couple of resources from Gorman because I know you're a, a huge fan. I have... I don't know that I have inhabiting the cruciform God. I have cruciformity, yeah, and the death and uh, the death of oh, the yeah. Messiah and the birth of the new covenant by Gorman. Yeah, uh, where would you? So, if if people wanted to explore this cruciform idea, what what book would you have them start with?
1: Uh, I love his. Well, he's got a little book called Reading Paul. Ah, and he it's a very short introduction to Paul um, and Paul's cruciform theology. And uh, The Theopoetics of Paul. Mm. Um, brilliant little book. I, For someone, uh, a more advanced reader, or just, I mean, I had to read this book really slowly, and I just loved it. Uh, Inhabiting the Cruciform God is is just one of my all-time favorites. Um, and then he's got another book that is crucial, and that is Reading Revelation Responsibly. Oh, that um, one is amazing. So, yeah, yes, great book. And that gets at the ideological orientation of Revelation, how it's counter uh, to all the ideologies um, uh, and uh, idolatries uh, and propaganda of the empire to proclaim an alternative rule overseen by the crucified Lord. Come
0: on. Which I love. (laughs) Slightly relevant. So I have becoming the gospel.
1: Yeah, I've read that. Yeah. Is that a good one? I've not like dipped into it.
0: Okay.
1: All right. Yeah, that's yeah. I and think then... cruciformity, inhabiting, and becoming, are sort of function as a uh, trilogy.
0: Ah. Okay.
1: All right, dude, this is so good, Tim. Thank cool. you so much. Dude, that's it's just a blast to kick stuff around.
0: Oh, it is. All right, so. um let me let me sign off officially and then stay on for just a cool. second. We'll yeah, I, man. Well, I thank you. All right. So, let, brothers and sisters, there you go. Check out Faith Improvised. You, Tim also has a couple of books on Paul that I highly recommend. Paul, A Guide for the Perplexed. And um, uh, what is it? The, the Drama of Ephesians. The Drama of Ephesians. Come on, Mike. Yes, which I love, love, love. If you're ever preaching Ephesians, you've got to you've gotta use that one. So anyway, Tim, thank you so very much. Appreciate you, my friend. All right, you got it.